Welcome to you all, especially if you're visiting with us for the first time, and welcome all of you who are watching at home at Living Word Live. And we pray that uh, the Word of God touches your heart this morning. Let's look to the Lord together as we open our Bibles. Praise God. Oh Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of your Son, hallelujah, the name above every name, we come to you hungry, hungry for a message from heaven. O Lord, speak to us this morning. Let it be so evident, O Lord, that you are talking to us. O Lord, and help me not to get in the way. Help me to be a help. Help us all, O Lord, to have anointed ears and open hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. So if you will, join me first in Acts chapter 2, And verse 1, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I have called the book of Acts the most neglected book of the Bible. Not here. It's a very important book, a special book to us here at Living Word Church, and perhaps you'll gather why as we go along. But in many churches, it is uh, a neglected book, and I've heard preachers often say that you cannot get doctrine from the book of Acts. It is thought to be just a, a, a history, a history story of the marvelous and wonderful start of the church, but that's all. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 gives a little bit of that history. It says, And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that were separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Praise the Lord. This is an amazing experience caused by God, an experience of God. It happened on a particular day. It says the day of Pentecost. That's 50 days after the Passover. So Jesus was crucified on the Passover, rose from the grave on the third day of his death on a Sunday morning, spent about 40 days visiting with different individuals and groups after he rose from the grave. He was seen by many different people in many situations, talked with them, ate with them. They touched him. And then he ascended to heaven and he instructed his disciples to wait in a particular place. He told them in Jerusalem. They were not allowed to, uh, they were not encouraged to wait in Bethlehem or in Jericho. They, They were told to wait in Jerusalem. And they prayed 
and they meditated and they studied the word of God for some days until the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Christ was crucified and the spirit of the Lord visited them in a very powerful way. They were there on a certain day in a certain place in obedience to Jesus and a big thing happened. Now this morning, I'd like to continue on this series, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the effects of the Holy Spirit. And today, I'd like to talk to you about especially some gifts of the Holy Spirit and a particular effect of the Holy Spirit, and that is that the people of God, by the Holy Spirit, have a powerful, life-changing, memorable, and meaningful experience. God wants you not only to talk about him, he wants you to experience him. Okay, first talking about some gifts we see here. The gift of tongues is given. Verse 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The gift of tongues, there are many kinds of tongues, as I covered with you a couple weeks ago, but the gift of tongues is evidence that people have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We might wonder, is does someone receive the gift of tongues every time they are filled with the Holy Spirit? In other words, is the gift of tongues the special marker, the special consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit for the very first time? And I will say that you might find some passages and some experiences in the Bible where people were filled with the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues is not mentioned specifically, but you will also find quite a few cases where the gift of tongues is spoken specifically as being gifted to the receivers of the Holy Spirit when they receive the Holy Spirit for the first time. And so while you can't really make a case strongly one way that, oh yes, definitely, that that would be this case. Definitely, there are many ways to manifest the infilling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit besides receiving the gift of tongues. I don't think you can make a solid case in that direction. There is a case in the other direction that tongues is always reliably evidence that somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you can quibble about it. You can wonder about it. I'll tell you, if it's clear that the gift of tongues is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, I would want the gift of tongues. It's a good thing. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. It'll do you good. I've never seen it hurt anybody 
Since 1975, I've been serving the Lord. I prayed with many people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were. I've witnessed many people being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking the gift of tongues. I have never heard, I have never seen anybody hurt by it. Okay, the gift of tongues, there is evidence, uh, there is an in it, a result of the gift of the whole, or the uh, infilling of the Holy Spirit, a gift. But then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches. Let's take a look at that in chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, at his nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Glory to God. Imagine this comes out of nowhere. I mean, they didn't call for a meeting. Let's all call. Let's all gather together at this, uh, in the vicinity of the uh, Jewish temple here and hear a sermon. Nobody printed up posters beforehand and say, come and hear Peter, who knew Jesus Christ. He's going to be preaching a sermon at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost. Nobody has scheduled this. And this is the very thing that I'm talking about here when I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit visits, there is going to be an experience of God. And things are going to happen. Big things are going to happen. Now keep your hand here. We're going to be right back. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, where it talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit. Because I want to take a look at what's going on here with Peter in comparison to the gifts of the Holy Spirit and show you that Peter, I believe, was uh, exhibiting or using more than one gift of the Holy Spirit that day. Tongues, yes. But I'm going to suggest to you that Peter was also operating in the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. Now let's take a look here in 1 Corinthians twelve seven. It says, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. All right, that's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The King James, James says a word of wisdom or a message of wisdom. This is not like the wisdom that... Solomon received in his experience where God just gave him great wisdom. This is not the kind of wisdom that 
is gained through experience and trying and laboring. This is not the experience that is gained, not the wisdom that is gained through study and reading. This is a gift of wisdom. God gives this gift in a particular situation. This is an experience. This is wisdom that comes as an experience. I'll give you an example. I give this example from my own young life because I want to encourage young people to seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit for themselves and to realize that God can use you in this. Some years ago in the Uh, at Living Word Academy when I was in my 20s. I was probably about 24, 25 years old. We had a thief in the school. It had to be a troubled young person. And this thief kept stealing $20 at a time out of different uh, sisters' purses. Wow! And we couldn't find out who it was. We knew we knew we had a troubled person and we suspected it was the same person stealing again and again. On, a, on one particular day, we heard of another theft out of Sister Inez Baker's purse, who was the librarian at the time. And we all shook our head. Oh boy, another case of thievery. How terrible. We all shook our heads, and God spoke to me. I'm telling you, it was God. He said, one, you've got him. We do? Where is he? The Lord said, you got him. Okay. The Lord said, get everybody together. Everybody. All the students. Bring them to the cafeteria. We wouldn't fit nowadays, but in those days we fit. Maybe 75, 80 kids. I still didn't know what to do, except get them together. Well, I was just 25 years old, something like that. We had a principal in the school. I was the youngest teacher of all the teachers. I was the kid among the group, but I said to the principal, we've got them. Oh, We've got to bring everybody to the cafeteria. Oh, see, this is the word of wisdom that comes from God. God speaks to you what to do. Now, I can contrast this with the word of knowledge. If God gave us a word of knowledge, one of us would have, God would have said to us, it's so-and-so. So-and-so is the thief. That would have been a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is when God gives you information that you don't figure out, you don't learn, you don't study, you don't calculate, you don't put together. It's not because you're smart. It's because God speaks to you. But God didn't choose to use the word of knowledge that day. He chose to use the word of wisdom. And the word of wisdom is when God shows you what to do in a particular situation. And it's him, and it's right, and it'll work, and it's holy, and it's good. We got all the kids together in the cafeteria, and I just started questioning them. One after another, questioning them, where were you? Because we knew when the $20 was stolen within a five-minute plus or minus window, within a 10-minute window. Started talking to them one after another after another as we secured that every 
student, one at a time, every student was where he was supposed to be and didn't leave the study hall, the cafeteria, the class, and so on. They all got moved from one side of the room to the other side of the room, the safe side of the room. How many of you remember this day? There's one. You and me, Christine. One at a time, we moved the kids over to the safe side of the room until there were only two boys left on the question mark side of the room. Which one of you two stole the money? Neither one confessed. One of the moms of one of the students heard what happened, and she said to herself, oh, my son did it. My, okay, is that what happened at school? Definitely my son is the thief. She put him at the kitchen sink and said, confess. He wouldn't. She smacked him one with a rod on the hind end. Confess. Nope. She smacked him again. Confess. And on the back swing, he confessed. I did it. I did it. I did it. I stole the money. You stole all the money this fall, didn't you? Yes, I did. You stole money from Inez Baker? Yes. Where is it? I folded it up in a little wad and tucked it behind a pipe in the boys' shower room. The sister called me and said, yeah, he did it. You got it. You were right. It was him. Your method worked. Go find the money. It's wadded up behind the pipe in the shower room. I said, okay, sister, I'll call you right back. Went down to the shower room. Looked behind the pipe. There it was. Wadded up behind the pipe. Say, you shouldn't get a confession from a kid with a stick in your hand. Well, that's the mom's business. She knew her son. And he was, he was the guilty one. That was a word of wisdom. What to do in that situation. That we would do that in, in that, that situation, and that would fix the problem. It's when God reveals to you the solution to a problem. That's a word of wisdom. Wh- how is Peter operating with a word of wisdom on the day of Pentecost? How? Like this. What do we do? Everybody got, every, all of us 120 Gal- Galileans got filled with the Holy Ghost and started speaking in tongues and we're speaking in all these different languages and all these people who are visiting Jerusalem from out of town are hearing us praise God in all of, all of their native languages even though we never took Rosetta Stone language courses. What do we do? And God spoke to Peter what to do. Preach to them. You've got to understand. This is the first sermon in the age of the church. This is the first Christian sermon ever spoken. How did he know to do it? How did he know this was going to be the answer? How did he know this was going to work? How did he know this was the solution to the problem? Because God told him, preach. He had never done this before. He had never preached before like this. He had never preached on the steps of, of, to the temple in Jerusalem. He got a word of wisdom from the Lord. Preach, Peter. What do I preach? Well, now you need a word of knowledge. We're still in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Can I hear an amen here? Hallelujah. 
That would be nice. Praise God. It says in verse 8, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, not by means of intelligence, not by means of coursework, not by means of reading, by means of the Spirit, knowledge is given. And what we see Peter doing on the day of Pentecost is quoting the book of Joel. What was he just studying the book of Joel all week? Well, maybe he was. But how did he know to study the book of Joel all week? How did he know what was going to happen on the day of Pentecost and what would be the appropriate scriptural explanation to these people from the Bible? How would he know to to tell the people, we have now entered, folks, the end days. We have now entered the last age before the reign of Christ on this earth. We have entered a new period. He had this prophetic understanding that they had entered into the last days. You see, Peter was having quite an experience with God that day. Being filled with the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues a word of wisdom, what to do, a word of knowledge, the content of his preaching, remembering verses. I mean, I'm, I, I just read the book of Joel through and through every day, don't you? But it was right there, right when he needed it, right when it was ready. Just like the Lord said, the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind my teachings. And the day that you need them, you are going to have them because I send the Holy Spirit to you and the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to know what to say. Praise God. You can go back to Acts chapter 2. I think Peter is operating in the gift of prophecy. He is both giving an inspired explanation of what is going on in front of them and what will happen as the last days unfold. He's got a word of wisdom, knowing what that he should preach, even though he's never done anything like this. He could do so many things on that day. He could call for help. He could say, guys, let's get out of here. Somebody might have thought that was wisdom. Whoa, this crowd is upset. This crowd is mocking. They're only a short step away from violence here. We're not, you know, they killed, they killed Jesus a month ago. They, there's some angry people left here. You know what I think? We're getting a lot of attention onto ourselves. The, face, the safe thing to do right now is get out of here. Come on, everybody. 120 Galileans, find me. Let's go. No, that wasn't the word of wisdom that God gave him. God gave him a surprising message. Stand up, Peter, raise your voice, and preach to these people. Well, do you know thousands of people wound up committing their lives to Jesus Christ? Praise God! 
Wow, it's a good thing they didn't do the quote-unquote wise thing and run away. How does he remember all these Bible quotes? Now, those are gifts of the Holy Spirit that are in operation right here in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Special time, special place, special people, chosen people. Peter was a chosen person, chosen by the Lord to take this role. Let me talk about the effects of the Spirit. The effect of the Spirit is having an experience with none other than God. It's not just a jolt. It's not just an experience of, a wow, that was something, that was electric. It's more than that. It's an experience that is meant to be remembered. It is meant to be rehearsed and retold. It is meant to be a pattern of teaching. It is meant to be meaningful. This is a meaningful powerful experience with God. This is the effect of the Holy Spirit because God wants us. God desires for us to experience him. And he wants it to be meaningful. He wants it to create learning. He wants it to create growth. It speaks of personal relationship with God. People act. People obey. People learn. God meets them. God responds. First, some get filled with the Holy Spirit. Then others get filled with the Holy Spirit. We can talk about God theologically. We can do theology. Theology. Study about God. Things like this. God is omnipresent. Do you know, the, you know the word, omnipresent? It means that God is everywhere. It is one of the most repeated things that Christians say about God when they want to talk about the nature of God. They want to say he's omnipotent, meaning all-powerful, He's omniscient, meaning he knows everything, and he's omnipresent, which means he's present everywhere. This makes God God. This makes him very different than human beings. God is everywhere. It makes God who he is rather than like us. There is no place to escape him. Actually, when the Bible talks about God being omnipresent or present everywhere at once, No gaps. No place where God isn't. It's really speaking more about how nothing escapes God. Nothing escapes his his notice. His eyes are present everywhere, and there is nothing that is hidden from the Lord. As God, God is everywhere. We could read, for instance, Psalm 139.7. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, 
If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. No doubt about it, God is omnipresent. And we could find a good 12 or 15 or 20 passages in the Bible, like Psalm 139, in order to support the idea that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. He is. I'm not about to tell you that he's not everywhere. The Bible indicates that God is everywhere. I have to also tell you, though, that there's something the Bible stresses, emphasizes more. Not 12 or 15 times. Multiply that times 20, times 30, times 40. And what I'm talking about now is when God visits in a special way a certain people at a special time and a special place. The Bible is filled with scores of examples giving us the idea that the point of the Bible is not to teach us something about God, but the point of the Bible is to make us hungry for our own personal experience with God. Our own personal experience. Not religion not theology class, not seminary. The Bible has so many scores of examples of God coming to special places in special ways and special times. Some people experience the presence of the Lord, feeling it, needing it, remembering the experience. Everyone and every, in every place is not included in some sort of general, all-encompassing way. The experience is memorable and meaningful for them, for that time, for that day. It's not the theological concept that God is everywhere and at all times. It's a much more relational concept that God meets, let me say it this way, with me, with me. You say it too. God meets with me. God met with me. I experienced him. I received a gift from him. He told me what to do. I heard his voice. I'll never shake it. I'll never forget it. Never. I'll never, ever forget it. The Lord desires that we have that kind of experience. He wants us to experience him. Some churches, frankly, some churches are content to talk about God. Talk about God. And as soon as you say about, 
It puts him at a distance. It turns him into a topic. It turns him into a subject. Let's talk about God. Let's learn about this subject. Those churches are going to de-church. Those, the people are going to leave those churches because that does not satisfy the human condition and the human longing and our need for God. We need to feel him. We need to experience him. He needs to come into our lives and touch us. We need him. I'll trade in buckets and buckets of about God for a thimble full of experiencing God. Because I will tell you, I will forget those buckets and buckets full by next week. I'll never forget in my whole life when God touched me by his pinky finger. Never forget it. Are you hungry? Are you needy? Do you need God this morning? I've often referred to, as a preacher of the gospel, two separate senses for the presence of the Lord. The pervasive presence of the Lord, which is the presence of the Lord everywhere. There's no place. I mean, uh, the, the Psalm 139 says he's present in hell. He doesn't give any comfort there, though. His presence is like torture there. Because it's out there. It's not a comfort. It's not a it's not mine. It's somebody else's. The pervasive presence of the Lord in distinction from the special presence of the Lord. A few Bible passages like Psalm 139 speak of the Lord's being everywhere and emphasize that no information is hidden from the Lord. He knows all. But there are countless passages in the Bible that speak of a special visitation of God to a place, special visits by his presence to certain people at certain times. Have you experienced that yourself? That's what a Pentecostal is. Someone who has experienced God. And I want to tell you, Pentecostal, the Pentecostal experience, the experience, the reality of a personal experience with the Holy Spirit of God is, has spread as a standard across this nation and across this world. It has become a new standard for experience with God. People don't want to just talk about God like they did in dead religion. They want to experience God. Genesis 4.16 says, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence. Well, how does that sit with your theology? You know, your theology is the Lord is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. He's the same everywhere. But it says here, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. He was naughty. He was bad. He, was, he murdered his own brother, and the Lord was uh, chastising him and dealing with him, and he had to leave the presence of the Lord. Sin put a barrier between him and the presence of the Lord. 
And it was no comfort to him to go to theology course, to go to seminary and read about how the Lord is omnipresent. It was no comfort to Cain. Because he wasn't sensing and feeling and experiencing the presence of the Lord anymore in his life. The Bible message is that we should desire and look for his presence. It's terrible. It's it's tragic when the presence of the Lord is removed from a life. Uh, In Psalm 51, David says, O Lord... Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Right? In his sinfulness, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. This was a man who knew experientially the presence of God in his life. Exodus thirty-three, fifteen. Moses said to the Lord, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Uh, what should we say? Moses, <laughs> you know, what are you talking about there? If his presence doesn't come up, go up with you, uh, you should go back to seminary school. You should go back and take that theology course over again because you're supposed to learn that the Lord is omnipresent and you shouldn't be worrying about if your presence doesn't go with us. I'm not, le- I'm not leaving this spot. I am not going out of this spot. I am not leaving this circle of sand if your presence does not lead me out of it. I am going nowhere without your presence. So Lord, are you sending your presence? He wasn't taking comfort from Psalm 139. He believed in the experiential presence of the Lord, the special presence of the Lord. I'm telling you, I've got I've to put the voice of Moses ahead of the voice of the seminarians. And I've got to take Moses' theology out and ahead of the theology of, of just about any other man. He knew God. Moses had to take his shoes off before a fiery bush. The children of Israel feared to go up onto a fiery mountain. Exodus 13.21 says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of the cloud or by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Exodus 14.24 says, During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. See, there was actually a manifestation of God's presence with the nation of Israel, the manifestation being a pillar of fire, and that pillar of fire protected them, it provided for them, it guided them. This was the special presence of the Lord. The nation of Israel had it. Did that nation of Egypt have it? They did not. Not everybody has the presence of the Lord equally. How about you? Do you have it? Do you have the presence of the Lord in your life? Are you experiencing the presence of the Lord in your life? Don't be satisfied. I encourage you, don't be satisfied just to talk about 
God. Talking about him puts him over there. Puts him on a shelf. Oh no, that's disrespectful. Puts him on a pedestal. I'll tell you what, that's not respectful either. I don't care what high of a pedestal you put the Lord on. He wants to get down off the pedestal and come to you. He wants you to have your special time. He wants you to have your special touch. He wants you to have your special visitation. He visits people. And when their back is against the wall, he'll visit a person. He visits churches. When he desires for a community to have a people and a body of Christ in that community, he'll visit a church. Like he visited 120 Galileans on the day of Pentecost. He'll visit a family. Oh, when you're at your greatest need, God will visit your family. I was at a home fellowship Friday night. Oh, man, did the Holy Spirit visit that place. Oh, the Spirit was there. I'll always remember it. The special presence of the Lord brings benefits with it. Protection, guidance, provision. These things are not part of the Lord's common grace and common goodness that he extends to all of the world. We read in the Bible how Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord in Shiloh. We learn when the presence of the Lord left Shiloh that a woman named her child Ichabod, which means the glory of the Lord has departed The glory of the Lord departed from the temple. It was actually the tabernacle in Shiloh. It was there for a while, and then it was gone. No consolation by saying God is omnipotent, or God is omniscient. God is uh, omnipotent. God is omnipresent. No no, uh, consolation there. The word was Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has departed. The presence of God comes. The presence of God goes. This is the special presence of the Lord. Am I denying that the Lord is everywhere at all times? No, I'm not denying that. But there's the presence of the Lord in two different senses and two different experiences according to the Word of God. Don't be confused by the two. We're talking about God now. We're not talking about people. He's above. He's beyond our pea brains are never going to understand exactly. But would you let God be God? And if you let God be God, will you let him pursue what he wants to pursue? He wants to pursue a personal experience for you with him. 1 Kings 19.11, the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. There are so many expressions like this in the Bible. The Lord is about to pass by. You know, that really fights against the this, this sense that God is omnipresent. He's going to pass by? How does an omnipresent one pass by? You can't perceive him passing by if he's omnipresent. Well, there's his special presence too. 
and his special presence was about to pass by the prophet Elijah. Like it passed by the prophet Moses. The word reads on, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, the special presence of the Lord might visit you. You might have a special visitation of God when he asks you, What are you doing here? What are you doing at this place in life? What are you doing grabbing a hold of this struggle of all struggles? There are more important things. You can study about God and come to the conclusion, He exists! And you could talk about His God qualities. But God wanted Elijah something different for Elijah. He wanted Elijah to experience His presence. If you only study God, he remains at a safe distance. You think about him. He'll remain there as the target of your thinking, and you'll remain here with a safe distance in between. God becomes objectified that way. Are you happy today to leave him a topic? You can go to church infrequently if you leave God a topic. You know, because, let's face it, Brother Brian doesn't have that much to say. And Brother Don and Brother Ben and all the preachers that come to the pulpit. I mean, how smart are they really? How well studied are they really? How academic? You know, you can, there's lots and lots of professors, preachers, that could teach you so much more about God. I don't come to church just to study. I come to a church to experience personally the presence of God in my life, the help of God, the hand of God, to feel Him, to sense Him, to hear Him in my heart. If I just want to come to church to know more about God, to study Him, I'd say I could come once a month probably and that'd be plenty. Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 2. He had already ascended. His disciples, His followers had lived in close relationship with Jesus and their experience of Jesus was every day one thing after another. Well, the, the relationship and the experiences had to continue even though Jesus was ascending to heaven. And so the Holy Spirit came from Jesus. Acts 2.33 says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received, 
Listen to this. He has received from the Father the promise, Holy Spirit, that has been poured out to what? Poured out what you now see and hear. Check that out. Jesus ascended to the Father. The Father bestowed upon Jesus the Holy Spirit. Did I read it right? He, that's Jesus, in the middle of the verse, exalted to the right hand of God, he, that's Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out, Jesus has poured out what you now see and hear. This is how you experience Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit poured out on you. Jesus is sending it. Jesus is pouring it out. Jesus received it from the Father. That might blow your mind. Jesus received the Holy Spirit from the Father so that Jesus could then dispense it according to his will. In order for us to continue in an experiential relationship with him. Hallelujah. He first received the Spirit from the Father, and then he poured out the Holy Spirit on the disciples. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Peter is here at the home of Cornelius in Caesarea. And Acts 10.44 says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So, Cornelius has had experiences with angels, visions, prayer. And now he has called for a Christian preacher to come to his home and tell them more about Jesus. But it wasn't enough for the Lord that Cornelius would simply learn more about Jesus. Cornelius had an angel intervene in his life, a vision, a word of knowledge. Cornelius lived in his devotions. If there was ever a man who was disciplined in his devotions. But for Cornelius, it wasn't just about living a religion towards God zealously. He needed to have his experience with God. And so the Lord sent the Holy Spirit and said, Peter, that's enough talking. You've done enough talking. We've done enough study. We're not in a seminary here. This is not a theology course. I'm taking over now. Step aside, son. I'm filling Cornelius and his wife and his kids and his friends and his neighbors and his, and his co-workers with the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Spirit. And they started speaking in tongues and they started glorifying God. 
And they had an experience like they would never forget all their lives long. Oh, Peter, you were a great teacher. But boy, was I glad when your teaching was over. And it was time for the Holy Spirit to take over instead. Acts chapter 11. Peter's explaining what happened that day. He's explaining this to other churches. He says in Acts eleven fifteen, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Chapter 15, they called together a whole church, an important and influential church in Jerusalem in order to discuss if this was okay for Gentiles to become Christians without also becoming Jewish. Did they have to convert to Judaism as well as to Christianity? And Peter speaks up in verse 8, Acts 15, 8. God, who knows the heart, shows that he accepted them by giving, them, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. This is quite an experience God wants you to have experience with him. Not only to feel powerfully the moving song, the moving melody. Look, we have a sister coming down here. Don't let her come alone. Let's start coming down here. Brother Brian's got to be done talking here. And we got to let the Holy Spirit have his way. Amen? Come on now, God wants you to have an experience with him. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit and received the gift of tongues, you come first. You come first. Come on now, you come first. God wants you to have an experience. He wants you to experience him. Come on now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to pray with you. We're going to lay hands on you like Paul laid hands. On them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus. A couple comments before we go our separate ways and take a little break, little little lunch, little nap, and come back again tonight. Amen. For prayer, one is: What about being emotional? Isn't this a lot of emotionalism? Are, are we concerned about being just emotional? Cranking up the emotions. Uh, we've never had a, a, a bad problem with emotion in over 50 years as a church. You know, if we get a little overly emotional, sometimes we just correct it, get it in line. It's not that big of a deal. But I want to remind you of something. The 120 Galileans who were the first ones to be filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, they were accused by unbelievers of what? being drunk. Why? Because they were very emotionally uninhibited. 
sort of like drunk people. It's nothing to be afraid of. We shall not be oppressed by the silence of religion. You can be quiet as you want, but somebody else can be as demonstrative as they want, too. Amen? And Brother Don has a a word of encouragement, too. Amen, brothers and sisters. I just wanted to encourage uh, those of you who have come up. This is a wonderful place to receive the Holy Spirit in church. The pastor is exhorting us according to the Word of God. What a wonderful place to receive the Holy Spirit. But I want to add to that. If you did not receive the Holy Spirit or you've been seeking the Lord to receive the Holy Spirit with the evidence of uh, speaking in tongues, I want to encourage you not to be discouraged in your seeking. The Bible says that if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. And, uh, excuse me, when I was a young man, I didn't have the benefit of this kind of a church. But I was seeking God. I was pouring out my heart before him in my bedroom. I wanted more of God. And he filled me with the Spirit. And I spoke in tongues. And I'm not sure if I had heard someone speak in tongues before. No one had taught me about it or told me about it. But I was pouring my guts out and and weeping before the Lord. And he filled me. So I want to encourage you, do that on your own. Do it here, certainly. But don't be afraid to seek God. He will fill you and meet you wherever you are if you hunger and thirst after him. I just want to encourage you in that. Thank you, Brother Don. And and you never forgot that. What were you, 14, 15-year-old? 14, 14 or 15, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. And it changed my Never life. Forgot. And here I am, 48 years later, yeah. still speaking in Amen. tongues and, and still having access to the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every time I go to God in prayer, I feel his presence. And, you know, Brother Brian was, was talking about this this morning. And as he talked about it, it reminded me, because he was saying this, but what was speaking to me was, you know, Brother Brian was talking about how God is omnipresent. And I heard someone once said, God is spatial. He fills the space, but he wants to be special. He wants to have that special relation. Not just be spatial everywhere. He wants to be special in your life and fill your heart with his Holy Spirit so that you can experience him. Hallelujah. Before you go to meet with him in heaven, Hallelujah. you can experience God now on earth. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Praise the Lord.